Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning Trinity Community Church. How are you doing today? What a great morning when you baptize people, right? Isn't it great? It's like my most favorite times of the year when we do our baptism Sundays. It, it, It measures and it shows us as a church if we're doing our job. Our goal is to help people to move from death to life. And, um, you know, don't ever forget that. That's why we exist as a church. So it just, it's, it's, again, at Trinity, we're passionate about two things. We're passionate about pursuing God's presence, and we're passionate about the lost. His presence transforms us. When you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit comes in. His presence is there. You are transformed. And we're passionate about the lost. Lost people matter to God, so they matter to us as well, right? So that's what we do, man. That's why we, we do what we do. Um, even though at times when we do this, it makes you uncomfortable. Right now, I am wet. This is, we're in the splash zone. Did you guys get splashed at all? I tried to, to mitigate that. No, they're like, we got wet. Got to wear one of those poncho parkas, right? You know, how many of you know that, that God did not promise you comfort? He promised you purpose and destiny and eternal life. Sometimes those roads will take you to some uncomfortable places. Um, so this crazy thing has happened to our church, and it, it started in the youth, and it's starting to spread. Uh, we were introduced to this beautiful thing called pickleball. How many of you have encountered this thing called pickleball? Now, I'm an avid. I like, you know, racquetball. I like tennis, all that stuff. Pickleball is a challenge. So they've been playing pickleball here on some days, and on, on, on Wednesdays after the family night, the grow night, the kids will hang out and they'll play pickleball. So the other Wednesday, the kids are playing pickleball and I'm standing there and I'm thinking, I would like to get a little piece of this action. Now, this is what happens if, you, if you're old. If you're not old, you don't understand this. But as you get older, you have a battle that goes on inside of you. And the battle is between your mind and your body. My mind tells me I can do all kinds of things. But my body brings this thing called reality to the equation, Right? The older I get, the greater I was. I was a good athlete like 150,000 years ago. The dinosaurs were roaming around, and there I was in my football gear. So I'm out there, and I want to play with these guys. And I'm like, man, if I only had a partner. So as we're hanging out, my, my good friend Roger Turk is there. He's one of our elders. And you can see Roger Waves, everybody can see you. So Roger's like, hey, I'll be your partner. We could take him. I said, okay. So Roger and I, we go up, and let me tell you, it's like David versus Goliath. We're playing these young guys, and the young guys, I think they happen to be our children. Were they our children that we played? Toby and Ben. (laughs) So we get out there. In my mind, there are thousands cheering us on, and the incredible, unthinkable thing happened. Roger and I took out these young whippersnappers. That's us. It was like a shot to the side. They didn't know what to do. They were stunned. They didn't know what to do. And I can tell you this right now, Roger and I are great winners. We're incredible winners. In fact, I'm waiting at any moment, Disney's probably going to call us for the rights to our story. And we promise we'll tie 10%, whatever those things are. Um, How many of you know that every once in a while, your life encounters unexpected things? Those kids probably whip better, you know, they wept bitterly that night knowing that they were humiliated in front of all of their friends. We can only hope that to be true. Every once in a while in life, we encounter things that we don't expect. Beloved, if somebody told you when you came to Christ, all of your problems would go away and you'd never encounter any trouble at all, you were lied to. 
fact, what if I were you, you know what I'd do? I'd find those people and I'd punch them right in the face. I would. You lied to me right in the face. To live life means that we encounter the unexpected. It is. As believers, it's not that you're going to encounter, you're not going to ever encounter the unexpected. What makes us different is how we navigate those situations. We are not people of the world. We navigate things. We have a deeper hope. We've got a greater peace. All those things are found in God. So our faith is built on on those things. And every once in a while, those unexpected moments can make us uncomfortable. To live the Christian life means to live a life that is uncomfortable. God is always stretching. He's always asking. He always has things for us that he wants us to do. He's always getting us to step out of our comfort zones. He got guys like Peter to step out of the boat. Paul, you think you're going the right way. You're not. Knock you down. Now let's go this way. In fact, the heart of God is not to make you comfortable. The heart of God is to make you live out your destiny and your purpose. So that can be uncomfortable for us. So a few weeks ago, we started our series Uncomfortable. We talked about how growing in your faith can make you uncomfortable. You remember when you started growing as a kid? You start going from little to big, and that's uncomfortable. Your muscles ache, your legs ache, you're learning new things. It's uncomfortable. And then this crazy thing happens. The older you get, you don't just grow big, you start to grow old, which sometimes make you grow big as well, right? And how many of you know that that's also an adjustment? Not being able to do the things that you used to do. All of that is uncomfortable. So this week we take another step. Another thing in the Christian life that makes us uncomfortable. It's the principle and the understanding of, of giving. How we give. Now when you think giving, like some of you are like, oh gosh, he's going to talk about money. Not talking about money today. How many of you know that you are worth much more than money? God is not interested in your money. He doesn't need your money. He's interested in what you do with your heart, how you engage people. And when you give in a godly way of yourself, how many of you know that makes you uncomfortable? We're going to talk about something that's a principle of reaping and sowing. We're going to look at a passage today that you've probably heard a hundred times, but I don't know if you've ever heard it preached in the right context. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 37. It's important, beloved, that you read Scripture in context. Now, I've got to tell you this. Some of you know, I've told you this before, I love to use a lot of scripture. In fact, I get some emails every once in a while, people that's like, Pastor, you just use too much scripture. If you don't like scripture, you're going to hate today. So I'm going to tell you. Luke chapter 6, verse 37 says this, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you'll be forgiven. Give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will, be, will determine the amount you get back. Now I want to read this again. Same passage, but it's in the, the, the voice translation. It's like how it puts it. It says, if you don't want to be judged, don't judge. Pretty clear, right? If you don't want to be condemned, don't condemn. If you want to be forgiven, forgive. Now look at verse 38. Don't hold back. Give freely. If you have plenty, uh, then you'll have plenty poured back in your lap. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, brimming over. You'll receive in the same measure that you give. Now, this is a beautiful piece of scripture, passage that comes from uh, a passage that we call the Sermon on the Plain. Now, how many of you have ever heard of the Sermon on the Mount? Sounds very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. This actually could be part of the Sermon on the Mount, but it doesn't say it, so they gave it its own designation. So they call it the Sermon on the Plain. But it sounds like it could be there. Now, in this passage, Jesus introduces us to this this concept 
that's unique to, to us. It's called sowing and reaping. Now, sowing and reaping is one of those spiritual laws. It's, a, it's something that God formed for us in the spiritual world and in the natural world. Other people that don't know God, they, they also understand what this is. They just call it different things. We call it sowing and reaping because that's what Jesus calls it. Um, so what is sowing and reaping? Well, back in Jesus' day, you got to remember, the society was primarily agricultural. So they did a lot of planting. They were subject to the growing cycles. You know, they had animals and livestock and stuff, but they were subject to, to the growing cycles. Now, even though we don't experience that right now directly, we're still in the same boat. If the crops fail, the prices of food goes up. If the crops fail, some areas of the world, they don't get to eat. If they don't get enough rain, if they get too much rain. So this entire society was dependent on agricultural things. So that's where this thing comes from. So when Jesus would talk to the people, when he teach them things, he would teach them things in their own vernacular, things that they could understand. So he talked to them about concepts that they would understand with the earth. Again, this analogy is about farming. So everybody that Jesus talked to understood what it meant to sow and what it meant to reap. So what would happen is this, a farmer would go out and he'd till his soil, and then he'd plant seeds, and the seeds that he would plant would produce more plants, which would produce fruit, and from that fruit, they would eat of the fruit, and then they would take the seeds, and from those seeds that they'd gather, they'd plant more, and that's just how the cycle went. Now, this crazy understanding of sowing and reaping, it's very simple. Sometimes we miss it because it's so simple. It's this concept. Whatever seed you plant in the ground will determine the plant that you grow and the fruit that you'll reap. Does that make sense? I mean, whatever, if you plant a potato, you're not going to you know, receive a strawberry. If you do, get you a podcast, write you a book, something weird's going on, let's figure it out. Right? It's sowing and reaping. If you plant a fig tree, don't expect apples to come from your fig tree. You expect to, to receive what you, what you plant, right? You reap the fruit of the seeds that you sow. Now, what's funny is this, in our world today, we can understand that clearly in nature, but we don't understand that sometimes with how the way we live our lives. As a pastor, I have spent too many last moments with people. I've sat with young parents that have lost their children. I've sat with older people that have succumbed to, to diseases and cancers. I've sat with people that have been shot. I've sat with people that have died way too early in their lives because of drugs, because of, of, of automobile accidents, because of everything in between. Some tragedies that just make no sense. Some people chose to go on certain paths, and because of the path that they chose, they died. Well, some people make it, some people don't. I don't know why some people live and why some people die. I don't know. Only the Lord knows that. But I do know this. In more than one situation... In tons of situations, when you see somebody pass, you hear this question, how could a loving God do this? And how could he send and how could he do this? And sometimes in those moments of grief, we forget that we have something to do in the equation of what this thing looks like. We sow things with our lives by things that we do and things that we don't do. And we expect to reap something different than what we sow. We live our lives contrary to what God asks us to do, and we wonder why sometimes our lives go wonky. Does that make sense? It's no different if you plant a, a green bean and expect to, to reap a radish. It doesn't work like that. Reaping and sowing. It's part of the natural order of things. And then within that also, God built this other thing. It's called the principle of multiplication. 
You never sow one-to-one. It would make no sense for you to sow a watermelon seed. You remember back in the day, I'm so old when watermelons had seeds. Remember when watermelons had seeds? You spit them out, you spit them at your neighbors and your friends. It would make no sense for you to take one watermelon seed, put it in the ground, and for you to grow one watermelon that had one seed, or just pop up one seed. That's not what the law of multiplication is. It produces many things, many seeds. For example, you know, we got right behind me here, we have the corn. The corn is planted for the, the corn maize for Family Fest. So we do that, it's a free event for the community, it's great. But what we do is we harvest this feed corn and, and we give it to these guys and they sell this feed corn. Now the crazy thing about feed corn is this, or any corn. You plant that one kernel in the ground and that one kernel produces usually two to three ears of corn. You know, each ear has about 800 kernels. One kernel produces between 1,600 and 2,400 kernels, which each represent one stock, which could be two or three. That's the, the, the understanding of multiplication. Does that, make, does that make sense to you? Do you understand with me where we're going? Now, we see this clearly when Jesus is talking about the parable of the, of the different seeds. Um, if you've got your Bibles, flip over real quick to Mark chapter 4. This is interesting, and this is something you need to understand. Anytime you share the gospel with people, or even in your own spiritual life, this is how the enemy works. When we sit down and we receive things from God, when anybody receives anything from God, the enemy is at work to destroy the seed that you've been given. Do you know that? He does whatever he can to get rid of that seed. And he doesn't do these new and magnanimous crazy things. He uses the same things over and over and over. Why? It's worked on mankind for thousands of years. It worked on people back in Jesus' day, and it's probably working on you right now. This is what happens when seeds are planted in us. Mark chapter 4, verse 3. It says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on the footpath, and the birds came and they ate it. The other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly, but because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon withered under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns and grew up, uh, that grew up and choked out the tender plant so they could not produce any grain. Now notice this. The plant was alive, but it didn't produce any fruit. We're going to talk about that in a second. Eight. So other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, and they grew, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as that had been planted. Then he said, anybody that has ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, that's important. It's important to listen and understand. How many of you know you can listen and not understand? How many of you have teenage children? How many of you have a husband? I hear you, but I don't understand Trust me, men, we live in perpetual non-understanding world. We just look at you. If we tilt our heads like the dog, we've not gotten the message. If we look at you and go, we've not gotten the message. Look at verse 10. It says, later when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples, with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parable meant. Now listen, this is, he explains all this. Look at verse 14. The farmer plants a seed by taking God's word to others. When God decides to drop his word in your heart, when you take the good news to others, you are planting seeds. Everything you do, everything you say plants a seed. It does. The question is this, what seeds are you planting? The seeds you plant will be the seeds that you reap. Verse 14, let's pop down there. 
says, the farmer plants a seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and to take it away. God is always speaking to you. Don't let the enemy steal the things that God has spoken to you. Sometimes God speaks to you stuff right here, right now. God may speak something powerful to you today. And as you're walking out, the enemy starts to steal the seed. How does he steal the seed? Did God really mean that? Did God really say that? I wish Billy would live. I hope Billy heard that. Have you ever heard a talk and you think, well, I hope that guy heard it because he really needed it. Most of the time when you hear stuff you think other people need, it's for you. The enemy's always trying to steal the seed. I had a meeting a couple weeks ago. It's a hard meeting. At the end, it said, don't let the enemy steal the seed. Don't let him steal the seed. So don't let him steal the seed. Look at 16. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Sometimes we think believers don't have any troubles. No! All of us have troubles. All of us have trials. You know, one of the promises that Jesus gave us, he says, in this world you will have trouble. Thanks, Jesus. You don't see that on Christian greeting cards, do you? No. But what did he say? Take heart, I have overcome the world. So this happens. As a fully devoted follower of Christ, you give your heart to Christ, it's your responsibility then to grow. It's our responsibility to make disciples. That means we help you to grow, but you have to choose to receive it or not. Don't give your heart to God. Get saved, Lord, I love you, and then disappear for four months. Get plugged in. Come to grow night. Get your nose in the book. Read the word. Pray. Whose responsibility is your spiritual growth? Do me a favor. Take your finger, point it at me. Now point it right back at your nose. You're responsible for your spiritual faith. Now don't get me wrong. We disciple. We put meals together. We help to make disciples. But I can't make you do anything you don't want to do. Right? Can't do that. You have to grow. If you don't grow and you don't get a solid foundation, the winds of the world will knock you right off your keister and put you right on the ground. And now more than ever, beloved, you need to know what you believe and who you are in Christ. Because if you don't, the wind's going to blow you back and forth and back and forth. We need to be stable, solid, and strong. Look at verse 18. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. This, to me, I think is the dangerous of all the seeds. This is a plant that's alive, but doesn't bear any fruit. I think this is an adequate description of the church today. You're getting in, but you're not multiplying. If I were to ask everybody in this room today, how many of you have led one person to Christ this year? And I'm not going to do that. There'd be hardly any hands that, got, that have gone up. And when Matthew, you know, in Matthew 28, when Jesus left, what did he tell us? Go into all the world and make disciples. What is our primary job? Make disciples. I said this a few weeks, or probably about a month and a half ago. Sometimes what we do in our faith is this. We've elevated the aspects of our faith that are to prepare us to do the thing to the thing. We made prayer the destination. Prayer's not the destination. Prayer prepares you, puts you in alignment with God's heart to make disciples. We made the Holy Spirit the destination. He's not the destination. He's the power. He's the gas in the tank that gives you the ability to go out into the world and to make disciples. 
That's what we do. We baptize. We make disciples. We don't argue on Facebook. You don't have time for that because you have people around you that are going to hell. Go get them. Go get them. Go get them. Stand up and step up. We are the only thing standing between the world and complete destruction. You know what our weapon is? Love. The love of Christ. The love that lays down our life for others. That's how we save them. You know how you change our world? You change our world one human heart at a time. And the only thing that I know that can change a human heart is the power of God. The power of the Holy Spirit. Did he change you? If he could change you, he could change anybody. Some of you were rough people. Right? And look at this. This, is, and this gives us hope. Look at verse 20. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word. Did you hear those two things? You hear it, and what else do you do with it? You accept it. You receive it. We sang a song about that. I am who you say I am. I'm chosen, not forgotten. I am who you say I am. It says this, and that produces a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much that had been planted. This is the principle of multiplication. The kingdom is built on exponential growth. You ready for this? In you and through you. That means this, the kingdom is always expanding inside of you. God is always stretching you. You know when you'll stop stretching? The day you die. I'm not just talking about pizza. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. And then he's always wanting to touch the world through you. He's expanding through you. How many of you know that that process doesn't sound comfortable? Doesn't have to be comfortable. It's his heart. So in this passage, we see both of these principles at work. Sowing and reaping and multiplication. Now, with that in mind, I want you to look at this passage again. Let me read it again. Luke 6, 37 and 38. Do not judge others, and you won't be judged. Do not condemn others, for it all come back against you. Forgive others, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured out into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you get back. So in regards to reaping and sowing, I think that this passage lays out two very specific things on how we're supposed to, to interact with people and with our world. The first is this. How you interact with people is a big deal to God. The second thing is this. What you do with what God's giving you is a big deal to God. So today we're going to target two things, people and provision. What is provision? Provision is everything you got, your gifts, your time, your talent, your treasures, everything. It's what God is giving you to accomplish the task. But let's start with people first. People are the only thing that we have that's eternal, so how you deal with people is a big deal. Because we interact with people and we impact them, whether you understand this or not, we impact them in eternal ways. So we have to be careful with how we, 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 we interact and we mess with people. I'm a movie fan. I love movies. Um, certain movies. I don't like all movies. I'm not into like rom-coms because it's just not real. That's why I love Marvel movies. <laughs> so I'm a guy, so I like guy movies. I like, you know, stuff. So a few years ago, this guy movie came out called Gladiator. How many of you have ever seen the movie Gladiator? 
I mean, you know it's a great movie when the main character, this is the main character's name, Maximus Decimus Meridius. I mean, it just rolls off the tongue. If I had one more child, Decimus, or Maximus, Decimus, Meridius, Harris. Right? He had this line in the movie, and it, man, it's, it's real. He said this, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Their truer words have never been spoken. What we do now impacts the next phase of life. You were built for eternity. Now, this doesn't just impact you directly, but how we interact with people, what we speak to them, what we do to them now in this life also has the potential to impact their, their eternity, their destiny. Now, when it comes to, to people, now, again, there, sometimes there, there are hot chocolate, uh, hot chocolate fudge Sunday sermons, and sometimes they're meat and potato sermons. Today is a meat and potato sermon. You need the meat and potatoes, right? You'll st- I'll make you laugh. It's going to be funny. But there's going to be some heavy things in here. So you may not feel happy. So let's just get this out of the way. Pastor TJ, we love you because Jesus said we had to. All right, here we go. Let's go. So when it comes to people, Jesus, for whatever reason in this passage, decided to hit on three things that he wanted to focus on. Now, again, for us, These are tough things. The three things he wanted to focus on from this passage are this. Judgment, condemnation, and unforgiveness. I mean, that covers a lot, doesn't it? Judgment, condemnation, and forgiveness. When it comes to people, this covers a lot of ground. In fact, I'm going to say something that maybe I'm wrong, but I'm just going to throw this out there. Maybe we don't see the kingdom harvest as great as it should be, because we don't fully understand how to flow and deal with these three things when it comes to people. If we were in more alignment of Christ than us, then maybe the harvest we would see would be different. When we speak out our faith, when we reap and we sow the right things, we see kingdom impact. So let's just go through them. First, let's talk about judgment. What is judgment? The Greek word here for judgment is krino, which actually means to separate or to divide. Now, what is Jesus telling us here to watch about judging people and how we judge people will be judged? He's telling us this. He's saying, guys, you need to be careful because humankind has a tendency to put people in boxes, right? We want categories, we want boxes, and most of the boxes that we put people in We will judge people, prejudge them, so we can get them into the places so that we can understand who they are. Now, we learned this concept when we were were young. How many remember junior high? How many remember lunchtime at junior high? Every table had a populace. You had the jocks. Back when I was in junior high 150 years ago, we we had the burnouts. You had the nerds and the geeks. We kind of put them all together. We didn't know they were subgroups back then. We didn't understand that. We all had our people that we put our little things. Now, thank God we grew out of that and we don't do that anymore, right? Thank God we don't categorize people and put them in boxes all over the place, right? We've created a lot of pain because we judge people falsely and we have false expectations of people. For example, I think I was here maybe three months. 
And uh, I was down at the well. It was right before the pandemic. And we got contacted by the newspaper. They said, hey, we'd love to do an article, a follow-up article on Trinity. Uh, they did an article with Pastor Steve when, when it was coming out. And, and we had just completed the building. They said, we want to get with you and talk with you to see what the next phase, the next step of Trinity is. I said, I'd love to meet with you. So we set up a meeting at the well. We own the well. I don't know if you know that or not. The church offices are at the well, which is dangerous. Because <laughs> you've got barbecue and ice cream and other things. So I remember uh, they set up a day, it was like 1130 or something like that. So I'm downstairs and I, I'm busy, got all kinds of stuff going on. I'm just waiting downstairs for this guy. I don't know what he looks like, don't know anything about him. And I'm waiting, 1130, 1135, 1140, 1145, nothing. So I go upstairs and Judy is my admin at the time. I said, Judy, I said, can you call this guy? I can't find him, blah, blah, blah. She contacts the guy. The guy goes, I've been here for 15 minutes. I'm waiting for your, for your pastor. I don't know where he's at. I'm like, well, I'm down here too. So I go downstairs, I'm looking around, and I notice there's another guy on the other side. He's looking around for somebody too. And her eyes meet, and ah, oh, this is the guy. So I go up to him. And I said, oh, man, I said, I'm sorry I missed you. And he goes, wow. He goes, you're the pastor. I go, yeah, I'm the pastor. He goes, wow. He said, I said, is there something wrong? He goes, well, you're not, you're not what I expected. I said, well, what did you expect? Dangerous question, right? What did you expect? He said, well, I, I expected, you know, maybe somebody, you know, a little more refined, a little more, you know, you know, of a different level. That was a bad interview with him that day. So, you know, do you feel like God's doing it? Yes. No. Maybe. That's, that was all I told him. Yes, no, and maybe. Then he left, and I went, hmm, mission accomplished, all right? We have to be careful in how we judge people. Just because they don't fit our box or just because we don't understand them doesn't mean that it's not God's heart and his plan for them to be in our lives. And when we judge prematurely, we create a lot of pain for our world. One of the closest guys that I have in my life, um, you know, we are polar opposites in almost every way. But God brought him in my life and, and he helps me. He helps me to grow and I help him to grow. So as we judge, we have to be careful. John 7, 24 says this. Do not judge by the outward appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Righteous judgment. Now, if you look at that Greek word for righteous, who's righteous? God's righteous. He makes us righteous. You, you can't do enough to, to make yourself righteous. He says this in Romans, uh, or Paul tells us this in Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, Make up your mind to not put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister. So when you run into people that look different than you, that smell different than you, maybe worship different than you, the goal is not to crush them and put them down or to isolate them or to run as far away as possible from them. What makes us strong and what makes us weird to the world as believers is our ability to love one another. We're one big family, a happy, dysfunctional Weird family. But we're brought together through him, through he is. Right? Judgment. Second thing he talks about is this, condemnation. Now, this Greek word for condemnation means this, to pronounce guilty. How many of you have ever uh, gotten in trouble with the law? You fought the law and the? Exactly. You, remember, you ever have to stand in front of a judge? Maybe you were speeding, 
Maybe we're doing other things. Isn't it weird? Isn't that feeling weird? This is what they told me. This is what I've heard. <laughs> to have whatever that judge say is the pronouncement. Unless you get an appeal, whatever they say, you know, that's a heavy position. That's a heavy place to be in. That word condemnation means this, to pass, to decree the penalty for the judgment. We condemn things. Now, what happens when you and I condemn people? By the way, to condemn people, we're, we don't, we don't we're, that's not our pay grade. We don't sit in that chair. God never asked us to condemn anybody. He asked us to love people. You know, I mean, we don't stand back and just call evil good and good. You know, we don't do that, but we don't condemn people because when you condemn people, what you do is you cut them off. When you condemn somebody, you cut them off from God's love and his mercy and his grace. You say, God, not this one. I got this one. Not this one. He can't have your mercy. He can't have your grace. You can have, you can have this one. Think about that. God, I know you, you, know, you created Saturn and stuff, but I got this one. But we do that all the time. We condemn people all the time. Now, we may not say it, but we do it, don't we? We just write people off. Have you ever written people off? I remember we were in one of our churches. I won't tell you which one because I think people watch from that area. We just got there. We were building the church. Um, I, was, I was taken out to lunch. By the way, if you want to get to know me, one of the best ways to get to know TJ, I'm not saying it's, it's 100% all the time, but if you add food to the equation, your chances go up dramatically. <laughs> Multiplication. We were talking about that, right? So we're at lunch, and it was a couple older, older couples. And as we're sitting there, um, you know, we're finishing up our meal, and one of the guys says, Pastor, so we had, I'm glad we had you here today. And I thought to myself, oh, no. You know, they, they want something. So he reached into his suit top pocket, and he pulled out a sheet of paper. He put it on the table face down, and he slid it to me. He says, we're going to help you out, pastor. We're here to help you out. He said, this is a list of everybody in the church. It wasn't very big. They fit on one piece of paper. He said, on this list, there are some that, that, that we're going to keep and some that we're going to jettison. We're going to get rid of them because they're, they're no good to us at all. He said, they're just, they're just no good. We're just going to get rid of them, he says, and everybody will be better. He said, they just they have no value. They have no worth. So we're going to move. This is our team. This is our group. And I looked at him, and he slid the paper to me, and he smiled. And I just took the paper. I didn't even turn it over, and I slid it back to him. I said, listen, man, I said, I, I'm a very laid back, easygoing person. I don't get mad. I don't get upset. I said, but the one thing that really gets me upset is if you tell me that people have no worth. He said, we are all image bearers. We're fearfully and wonderfully. All of us have worth. And I said, the good news for these people is that it's a new day, baby. It's new mercy. And the guy looked at me and he took his little piece of paper, put it back into his little top pocket. And he was gone in about a month. Didn't ask him to leave. He just left. Now, I'm sure nobody in this room has ever written anybody off. We've never gone to that place. No, not them. I'm sure nobody in this room has ever written off, you know, that one family member that's just weird. They've never written off, you know, that one guy that's got a different color political flag in their yard. That guy, that lady. We don't write people off like that, right? We don't close up the second we get around them, right? Hello? Beloved, we have to be careful that we don't write people off. As, as humans, we battle with condemnation. It's a big deal. And as a church, this can be a pretty tough issue for us. Because we move from 
brokenness to healed, from lost to redeemed. And sometimes, I don't know why, in our process of growth and understanding and becoming who God wants us to be, instead of reaching back and helping those behind us that were in the same place we were, instead of helping them to get to where we are, sometimes we like to turn around and hit them with rocks. We forget where we've come from. Jesus had a pretty cool encounter in John. If you get your Bible, flip over there real quick. John 8, 1, where he dealt with this exact thing. It says this, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in the front of the crowd. This has always troubled me. They found a woman that was caught in the act of adultery, but the man is nowhere to be found. Did they lose him? Was he faster than them? You know, what's going on here? I don't understand it. Let's keep going. Verse 4, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. Now, we don't know what Jesus was writing in the dust. In fact, when I get to heaven, one of the things I'm going to ask Jesus is, what were you writing in the dust? I just want to know. Maybe, you know, he was writing, you know, old rock, eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, nine. Who knows? I don't know what he's writing. He was stalling for time. Maybe he was writing the sins of the people that brought the lady. Who knows what he was writing? Look at verse 10, or excuse me, verse 11. Excuse me, verse 10. Verse 9. Here we go. (laughs) I also forgot my little tear glasses. It says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. Why did the oldest leave first? We've done more stuff. Right? Next time your kid's like, you just don't know. We know. We just don't talk to you about it. That's why you need to be real with your kids about your past. Don't just give them the good stuff. Tell them how you got to where you are. So there's hope for them, right? That was worth something. That was fantastic. That should be on a card somewhere. That was fantastic. Right? (laughs) It's okay. That's better, right? It says, beginning with the oldest, since only Jesus is left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are all your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Then Jesus said, nor do I go and sin no more. Do you know who brought the stones of condemnation to this lady? We did. The church, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, all the good people. Why? Because they were bad? No. They forgot where they came from. They had this rigid understanding, this rigid thought, but it was far from the heart of God. This is why we need to stay in alignment with God's heart. Always. It's always about him, not us. We struggle with condemnation. We love to throw stones. Why? Because we struggle with condemnation even for us. Where we should inject compassion in others, Sometimes we bring condemnation where we should receive compassion and grace for ourselves. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. We put condemnation on ourselves. 
Romans 8, 1 says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Do you know who Paul's speaking to in this letter? You, me. Some of us are stuck in this realm of condemnation where God's saying, get up and move on. If you sinned, he gives you the understanding of how you deal with your sins. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That word all in the Greek is panta, which means, ready for this? Oh, everything. Deal with it and let it go. Because sometimes you're battling your own heart. Look at 1 John three eighteen. This is nuts. You ready for this? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Look at verse 20. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. You can't even trust this sometimes. But you know who you can trust? God. He sets things right inside of you. Some of you live under this cloud of condemnation. You know what it does? It chokes you out, just like we saw the parable of the seeds in the soils. And you're alive, but you're not bearing any fruit. Be free. Be released. So we talked about judgment. We talked about condemnation. The next one's a big one. Forgiveness. The ability to forgive is one of the greatest gifts that Jesus has given us as believers. To be able to turn the other cheek, to be able to forgive the offense of others is one of the greatest things that God's ever given us. It's more than a test of the human will. It's a gift of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit that's deep inside of us. It's important because how we forgive others has direct impact on how God forgives us. That's what the Bible tells us. This is what Mark eleven twenty five 25 says. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may also forgive you, your trespasses. There's a correlation. If you choose not to forgive, God cuts forgiveness off to you. It's reaping and sowing. If you don't plant forgiveness, you don't reap forgiveness. So plant forgiveness. Live your life in such a way that you extend mercy and grace and forgiveness. When you do this, you don't just get the benefit of reaping those things back. You become a better reflection of your Heavenly Father. Have any of you in this room ever been hurt by the church? Can I put, can I put my foot up? <laughs> Have you ever been hurt by somebody that called themselves a believer? Now understand this. We are we are not infallible. We make mistakes. But sometimes the reason we're hurt by people like that is because we are poor reflections of our Father. And let's just be real. Every one of us in this room, not only have we been hurt, but we've hurt others. Sometimes in the name of God. Now that may not be our intention, but we've done it. When we figure these three things out and we do them in the measure that God asks us to do, if you don't condemn, I won't condemn you. If you don't judge, I won't judge you. If you offer forgiveness, I'll forgive you. It's simple. It's reaping and sowing. But again, when you add the principle of multiplication, that means this. The more grace you sow into other people's lives, the more grace you receive. I don't know about you, you monkeys. I need grace. 
right? I don't know about you, you know, cheese whizzes. I need all the grace I can get. I need all the mercy I can get, right? So sow it. Sow mercy. Sow grace. Sow love. Sow goodness. And see what God does. Even Jesus did this. On the cross, he was able to look down and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He could have called down legions of angels, and he chose not to. He showed us the way to Christ. That's a big deal. So God sets us up. He shows us this thing, and he points it back to what it means for you to be fully devoted followers of Christ. He sets us up by the previous verse. This is the context of the verse. This is Luke 635, he says this. If you want to be extraordinary, love your enemies. Do good without restraint. Lend with abandon. Don't expect anything in return. Then you'll receive the truly great reward. You'll be children of the Most High, for God is kind to the ungrateful and to those who are wicked. Did you see that? What is the nature of our Father? What is our job when we face people that disagree with us? to crush them, to destroy them, to smite them from the planet. How many of you remember the Far Side uh, uh, cartoon? I remember it was God in his computer was one of them, and he had a button on his computer that said smite. And the guy was walking like under a piano. Is it our job as the church to smite people? No, it's our job to be a reflection of our Heavenly Father. God's given you everything you need to do that. So how you interact with people matters to God. Second thing is this. What do you do then with what God's given you, with your provision? Now, when we talk about provision, what are we talking about? Again, we're talking about anything that God's given you, your time, your talent, your treasure. What makes you you, your uniqueness. Maybe you're good with numbers. Maybe you're creative. Whatever that thing is, that's part of the provision, part of the things that God's given you. Now, God gives you all those gifts. He gives you the provision. What you do with those gifts, though, is up to you. You can keep it all for yourself and have a limited supply and reap a limited harvest, or you can sow it into the kingdom and receive more than you could ever possibly imagine. We hold on to all these little things that just don't matter. Do you know, how many of you own a house? Or maybe you live in a house that the bank owns, but you own it. Do you know that that house that you own, that you work for, someday, somebody's going to live in your house because you're going to die. How many of you have a car? You got a sweet car. You know, someday, either you're going to trade that in or somebody's going to drive that car. All of the things that are precious to you, your children will sell to yard sale. <laughs> Robin and I were yard selling yesterday. Went to this house and it was the weirdest thing. Uh, and the two sisters, the dad had died. And the guy was an organized guy. I would have loved to meet this guy. His garage is there. Everything's organized. He's got it all labeled. He's got boxes. He's got tools. All these things. And, and you could tell it was pristine. And he did this for his whole life. And his whole life is now on white folding tables with signs next to him that say, two for a quarter. I'm looking through a tool thing. And they're beautiful old tools. And the girl goes, she goes, ah, my dad was, I don't even know what those things are. She goes, ah, ah, give me like two bucks for the box. She has no idea. And then, you know, what happens when they do that with us? Well, you, you sell whatever you can, and then what do you do with the rest of it? It goes to Goodwill. Because we don't understand that. And, and we give our life to these things that have no value. So what do you do with all these things that God's given you? 
How you invest it, what you do with it, is a big deal. Now, if you invest it into the kingdom, God gives you this, this promise. Look at verse 38 again. He says this, give and you'll receive. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Your gifter will turn to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you get back. Now, this does apply to spiritual things like condemnation, judgment, and forgiveness. But this also applies to physical things as well. How do we know this? Well, you read the passage in context. Look at the earlier passage. Look at Luke 6.32. He says this, if you love only those who love you, why should you get any credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good for only those that do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Look at 35. We read it. We're going to read it again. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend them without expecting to be repaid. You can tell, you know, these are physical things, not just spiritual things, right? What's he talking about lending? What is that? What is he talking about? Money your stuff. Give them. I could never do that. Okay, then just disregard the scripture. It's a principle. I know this is tough. Meat and potatoes, I told you, right? He says, then your reward will be in heaven. It'll be very great, and you'll truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. There's a physical aspect to reaping and sowing that we need to understand as believers. We sow into the lives of people, and we sow into the lives of the kingdom, the life of the kingdom. That's just what we do. Now, when you sow, the posture of your heart is a super big deal to God. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9 says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. One of the reasons we don't take a traditional offering is because I don't want you to feel like I'm squeezing you for anything. It's very simple. God requires what he requires from us. Give him what he asks because we live as blessed people. Robin and I have been tithing for 32 years. I can tell you this right now. Never, ever, ever have we ever been in lack. There were times we was close. You know, I didn't know if the chunky Greek was going to eat. But as you can see, I've pulled through. It was dicey, but I made it, right? You always honor God, and God honors, he always honors you. It's what he does. Now know this. When you sow into the kingdom with your time, your talent, and your treasures, we don't sow into, sow into the kingdom to get stuff. I've heard people talking about that. I'm going to give this so I get this back. That's not what this passage is talking about. We sow into the kingdom... Because God asked us to do that, and we sow into the places where our treasure lives. If your treasure is rooted in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, then you need to be sowing into it. If you don't have any time, any, any time to, to do any of your talents or to give any money toward God, then you, you're saying your treasure is firmly established on the planet. And it's going to rot, it's going to rust, and it's going to be destroyed. Because this planet's not eternal. God's going to redeem it someday. He will. Matthew 6, 21 says this, where your treasure is, there also is the desires of your heart, where the desire of your heart will also be. 
So we decide to give. And when you give into the kingdom, when you sow into the kingdom, multiplication takes place. And here's the thing about that. Sometimes God multiplies the gift in ways that's just bananas that we can never even ever anticipate it. Let me show you a way back picture. Ready for this? This is me back in the 80s. Easy. <laughs> the 80s wasn't good for anybody, okay? This is me. I'm in my little smock thing. That's my little brother who's now 43 and bald. <laughs> he's, he's wearing my football jersey and those other girls, I don't remember who they are. This is in Carlisle, PA. This is at the now named Bongiorno Conference Center. Now, the reason this picture up here is important today is because of this. I had given my heart to Christ. I was going to Monroeville Assembly of God. They had opportunity to go to camp. Um, I did not have money to go to camp. Somebody in that church sponsored me to go to camp. This is the camp that I went to where God spoke to me. And he told me, son, I have plans for you and I want you to serve me in my kingdom. This camp. Somebody put up money for me to go to this camp that I don't even know if I knew that could have no idea of the eternal impact not only would this camp have on my life, but they could have no idea that God would take and shape my life and put me in a place in a position to do what I'm doing now to impact the lives of thousands. I don't say that with pride or haughtiness. I say that with humility and understanding how God multiplies the seed if you're willing to sow it. That's what he does. We have no idea. The next Billy Graham might be sitting in this room right now. Could be. We're sending 70 teenagers to camp. We got to get him a bus because there's so many of them and they smell so bad. No van can contain the stench. <laughs> we're going to send probably 30 or 40 little kids to camp. We have no idea the encounters we're going to have. Some of those kids aren't going to be able to go unless you help them. We support missionaries around the world that have a call and a burden to go to places like the Middle East, India, China. Some places we can't even name because if we told you the name of them, they call them living dead places where the gospel's not allowed. They put their lives on the line, and the reason they can stay is because of how we support them. We sow into the kingdom. My treasure is there, not here. Where's yours? What are you doing with what God's given you? What are you doing with the things that he's given you, even the great gifts like grace, mercy, love? Do me a favor, bow your heads. I want you to have a quick conversation with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. There's nothing special about me. I want you to ask him. Ask him first how you're doing in the sowing and reaping with the people category. What are you sowing into the lives of people? We're all sowing something into the lives of people. Are you sowing love, mercy, and grace? Or are you sowing condemnation, judgment? Are you withholding forgiveness? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Are you an adequate reflection of the heart of the Father? And the second is this. What are you doing with what he's given you? Are you sowing those things into the kingdom? 
Or is your treasure firmly planted here on the earth? And I would ask you just to do this. Listen and respond to what he's telling you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.